You're listening to Oblivion. It is July 3rd, almost the 4th. I'm getting very patriotic, David. 2023. We uh, got your firecrackers right here. <laughs> yeah, man. Got them sticking in my ears. Blasting out my ears. I'm safe. Um, yeah, top of the news. Not much to say about it. Um, uh, Israel launches biggest air attack on West Bank in nearly two decades. Uh, as they often uh, cynically call it the mowing the lawn operation, where they go in there and beat them down real good, get some target practice, uh, uh, do a little uh, uh, test their weapons out on the po- uh, Palestinian population and and just a orgy of violence and uh, uh, just the Israel doing its thing. Uh, not much doing new there. Um, it uh, <clears throat> pushed, uh, of course, pushed Ukraine down from the top, which Ukraine still generally gets in the top, less like over the weekend. There, were, there was a rash of the um, uh, Supreme Court rulings that came in. Uh, we could go over a few of those if you want. Um, well, I think the more interesting take on the Supreme Court is that it is a dictatorship. Yeah, right. And the I think that one of the strongest arguments in uh, support of the claim that it's a sham democracy is the oversized role that the Supreme Court plays in our governance. And it really is a contradiction to the balance of power and what all of us learn about our government and why it's so great is there's a balance of power, right? That there's not one office, one person, or one branch of the government that has all of the power, right? That all of the branches do function independently of the other two branches, right? And that they can override what one of the other branches does. An example of this is the veto power um, that the executive has in terms of responding to the uh, legislature, right? And then the legislature then has the power to override a veto, But when it comes to the Supreme Court, certainly when it comes to these major decisions over the last two years, overturning Roe versus Wade, getting rid of affirmative action, and uh, basically more homophobia and transphobia, the the Colorado uh, artist who doesn't have to make a website for a gay couple seems like maybe six years ago or so there was a a similar case so i don't know why this keeps uh being a problem but the the way that our government actually functions is that really the supreme court has the final say 
in everything. And so what winds up happening is that it, it is far beyond the Supreme Court merely interpreting law. It effectively makes the laws and enforces them, right? It's, it's above the executive and the legislature because it says, ultimately, this can be or cannot be the law. And, and when the Supreme Court says this law can't stand, it is making law. Now, a historian could turn this argument on its head and say, but the same thing applies to desegregation, right, of schools, that what good would it have done for the Supreme Court to have said, uh, separate but equal is unconstitutional if the schools had remained uh, segregated. And so that, that's something that you have to uh, consider. But then the other side of it is, I think, the larger question of what exactly is the role that the Supreme Court plays. And in other countries, Supreme Courts basically function as an advisory committee, right? They ponder and, and deliberate the constitutionality of a law, and then they render a decision. But that doesn't mean that the legislature, for example, then has its lawmaking power basically stripped from it. Right. Which is what happened, if you ask me, in Colorado. Colorado says that you can't, a business person can't deny a service to somebody because they're gay. And the Supreme Court comes along and says, well, Colorado can't do this because this is about free speech. And this person can't be made to express something that, they, that goes against their beliefs. Now, I know this is a little bit of a tangent, but since I can't resist, you'll just have to let me again explain what a bunch of bullshit this is, because saying that this is a free speech matter would basically be like saying a painter or a sculptor or a musician must paint a particular painting or make a particular sculpture or must sing a particular song. Or conversely, that they are forbidden to paint something, make a certain sculpture like David with his giant dangling penis. As I think both of us know, <laughs> we Davids we have monster cock. <laughs> yeah. And Michelangelo was mm -hmm. the one that mm -hmm. had to capture this. Let everybody uh, know. Yeah. <laughs> right. Monster cock. I think we might have a title for the episode. Um, but once, once a person who is uh, uh, an, an artist, I think you could uh, certainly debate whether a website designer is an artist. But once you declare yourself a business person and you say, "Look, I'm not just a painter." that wants to go out into this iris garden and paint something, 
or I'm a singer and this is the song that came to me and I want to go out there and sing it. But once you say I am offering a service, right? Like I'll, I'll paint your pets or I'll paint a picture of you. I'll paint a portrait of you after your wedding. You are no longer acting in the capacity of being an artist. You're now acting in the capacity of a business person. And this is a voluntary, independent decision that the person has, has made, that I'm going to offer a service in exchange uh, for money. That's what business is, goods and services in exchange uh, for, for money, uh, whatever it may be. You can't discriminate. You cannot. You can't say this good or service is available to these people, but not to these other people. You have a restaurant, I'll serve these people. These people come in, two men, oh my God, they're holding hands. Oh, I just saw them kiss. Get out of here. You know, I'm not going to serve you pancakes. You know, go take that gay love. You know, we don't want it here in my wonderful Christian greasy spoon. But back to the Supreme Court. Um, the Supreme Court in the United States functions as a dictatorship a lifetime appointment and we don't vote for these people so if we don't like them they are totally unaccountable we can't get them out and this idea that we can just keep voting for the president of a certain kind of party and but this takes forever to uh accumulate and to materialize right you have to wait for the person on the court basically to die then you have to go through a process of getting someone appointed none of this should really matter because in a government that really does have limited power and where all three branches have limited power and there's a check put on their power by the other two branches the supreme court should not be having the final say in what the law is and that the law is going to be enforced. Yeah, and there's nothing in the Constitution that says that the current role that they're that they have basically is as uh, the ultimate uh, law uh, makers. Um, that that role is in the Constitution. You know, we it doesn't state that at all. So um, it wouldn't be unconstitutional for us to um, make it where they aren't basically doing what they're doing now, which is uh, legislating, right? They're like saying, okay, we don't like this law. We're going to say that it's unconstitutional. Uh, and if we say it's not constitutional, then it's just, you know, it's over. Um, right. In the story. And um, whereas they should just be limited to more, I, <clears throat> I can't think of the longer term for this, but but kind of the thing you were talking about more is advisory, advisory and, uh, um, you know, kind of uh, policing the basic structure of the government rather than uh, each law that the uh, legislature makes, right? Um, yeah, and and what's really <clears throat> happened amazingly, and it's always it's been primarily in our lifetime. It really started during the Reagan Revolution, is where they. There was this concerted effort, and 
And really, you can thank Mitch McConnell for his long, <clears throat> successful long-term strategy. Uh, you know, he's been part of it since he first got into office. When was that, 86 or 80? I believe, yeah. Yeah, and um, that's what been one of his primary things. And, and his success in uh, basically making um, uh, what we call farm teams, uh, you know, uh, from academia... Um, you know, from from the college level, uh, kind of cabals of conservative uh, breeding grounds, basically, you know, think tanks, uh, certain of uh, the schools, and uh, setting them up where they're the kind of farm team that then will go in and, uh, um, you know, be uh, put in into the lower level court positions on the federal uh, court. And so, you know, they're, it's very front-loaded with all these uh, conservative and hyper-conservative, I'm not even sure what to call these people, like ultra-nationalist, capitalist, <laughs> fascists, you know, they're, uh, they're pretty extreme on the uh, historical uh, spectrum of... Right-wing of extremists a- and religious zealots. Exactly. And... Uh, They've really gamed it, and they've also been very effective in whenever, um, ostensibly, the Democrats are in power, they totally shut down or or proportionally have very, uh, uh, well, effectively totally shut down having any, quote, progressive uh, people getting into the courts, right? So the anybody that's even slightly uh, progressive or... Uh, even the slightest tinge of radicality, they oppose them vehemently. So they don't get in there. So then the compromise uh, kind of centrist uh, a liberal gets in there, right? So the best you're going to do is like basically a right-wing liberal, right? Um, that's the far left of the spectrum, which is what's basically in the Supreme Court. It's considered the liberals in the Supreme Court now are these you know, right-wingers in themselves, they're not quite as zealots uh, uh, like the other six now. It's now six just nut-job zealots uh, that have been uh, through this long game of Mitch McConnell. A misogynist, a drunk, (laughs) a religious zealot, um, a complete pervert (laughs) creep. uh, yeah, how would you characterize the new woman, the Barrett? Uh, she... Amy Coney Barrett is definitely the religious zealot. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, you think she's the most religious zealot of them, or you yes, got for t- the uh, from uh, Notre Dame? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And Alito uh... is the misogynist. Kavanaugh is the the drunk <laughs> slash rapist. <laughs> And I don't like really using that term because I don't think there's anything wrong with being a drunk. There's right. definitely something wrong yeah. with being a racist. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, the, his, then, his, know, his, his version of the drunk is like the, you know, our nightmares of our college years of the, of the um, frat boy, um, rich frat boy, uh, loud mouth doing his thing. You know, uh, <laughs> uh, being his bright self. Um, but yeah, yeah, Mitch McConnell is just totally triumphant and really like we've talked, talked about many times before in the program is that, 
this duopoly, uh, two-party duopoly, you know, it's not, you know, it doesn't seem like that these uh, uh, Democrats that are in power, at least, and, you know, maybe the few progressives that are in Congress uh, uh, don't like all this, although they seem to roll over at every possible time that they could really stick their nose out and uh, make a stink about things. Um, you know, I, I just don't think that, especially Joe Biden, um, who is a right-wing extremist to start with, um, the, the, um, the Democrats really aren't bothered by these things. And definitely, for, for instance, the uh, um, loan, uh, college loan forgiveness uh, thing, you know, it was, you always felt like it was at the most uh, quarter-hearted uh, um, advocacy for that, correct? I mean, it was, he ended up being $10,000 for everybody, right? But, uh, you know, I mean, basically, the beginning position was, you know, make it, uh, you know, pay them all off, you know, start from scratch, you know, that was kind of the Bernie position, you know. Uh, but so he, he got to the $10,000 thing and, uh, I don't think he's really too bothered about it. I mean, he was definitely part of the, uh, um, all that, uh, bankruptcy, uh, in quotes, reforms that were in the early 2000s. Uh, and one of the key features of the, that the legislative reform, so-called, was to basically make it where you could not go bankrupt with student loans, right? And so, you know, he was a leader in that legislation and a total giveaway to the schools, uh, especially the elite schools, but also the loan sharks and uh, the whole, that whole corrupt system. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't think that uh, he's really too bothered about uh, that decision. Uh, I, I don't either. Yeah. Just like he's, he's definitely not all that uh, Biden uh, doesn't seem all that uh, upset or concerned over the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, have you hear, heard hardly anything about that? I mean, uh, all I see on the New York, the uh, right wing liberal New York Times, uh, you know, it's just like, uh, well, just going to have to accept this. This is life now in these states and they'll have the, the new normal. It's a nauseating term that's <laughs> yeah. endlessly thrown around. Yeah, like and that's and that's the, that's the vibe you get from the uh, um, paper record, uh, which is, you know, this is just kind of the new reality. Um, and obviously it is because the Supreme Court, I mean, if it's up to the Supreme Court now, I mean, it's just going to be, uh, you know, more and more of uh, extreme and... Uh, uh, what they're going to go after, I think. I mean, this is... Uh, I, I'm kind of surprised they didn't have more extreme things to do for this. Um, um, and I, I mean, some people say that this wetlands one that they had a few weeks ago, uh, that they... <clears throat> I'm not sure of the complexities of the case, but it was basically the to weaken the EPA's ability to uh, regulate uh, wetlands. Uh, especially right. the pollution of wetlands is what it's about. I mean, it's not about the, oh, it, we just want to, like, punish uh, uh, landowners because there's some 
froggy frog in there. I mean, um, <laughs> you know, maybe maybe that's uh, w- one of the reasons that they would give. But I mean, the main reason is just not to fucking pollute these systems, which are highly sensitive to pollution. So, and, in other words, the Environmental Protection Agency should protect the environment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's insane. No, Dave, that seems awfully. It, this uh, is radical. I know. Cryptic and uh, mm-hmm. um, like a super uh, excessively intellectual. <laughs> yeah, I mean, argument there. Yeah, the founders didn't. Uh, there wasn't environmentalism when the founders were around, so we shouldn't have that, right? I mean, this is original you know, I've originalism. Been, uh, reading some interesting books about the 18th century, uh-huh. and a lot of people may not know this, but in the 18th century, there was no environment. There was no nature. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So so. there was just a a blank white Mm -hmm. background to everything, and there were these really smart people walking around in wigs, um, and they didn't smell bad, but everybody else did smell bad. But there was no grass, there were no trees. Sounds like the Garden of Eden, David. Um. Well, it wasn't until uh, the the sixties and people started doing drugs. Mm-hmm. And they got on LSD, and then they claim that there's all this nature and flowers and <laughs> green and blue stuff uh-huh, around. Uh-huh. Yeah, that uh, that that was first found out that we I had mean, in the, the Bible environment. Use the word environment? No. <laughs> well, okay then. <laughs> yeah. So um, <clears throat> yeah. So uh, the Supreme Court fucking uh, a total. Um, Disaster, and of course, the, there was some questions um, uh, soon after the, um, to Biden, uh, and I'm sure that the questions were like hit three minutes of questions. One person took made a question; he made a 15 second remark. So that was the extent of um, uh, his uh, discourse. Uh, but basically, he uh, uh, was questioned about whether or not they should change the, you know, uh, add Supreme Court, you know, put, that's often been cited as one thing to do is to pack the court with uh, liberals. Now, we we know what that would mean with Biden is that you'd pack the court with right-wing, quote, liberals uh, who are, you know, maybe not quite as extreme zealot as, uh, um, as, as some of the current... Um, so-called conservatives uh, on the Supreme Court. But they would always capitulate and sympathize with the extremists. Right, and if not, just uh, hardly uh, noticeable, the difference. Uh, So that wouldn't really help things at all, um, I don't think. And, of course, he's not into that. That was his whole point, was that he didn't, you know, think this was a good idea, of course, being a reactionary a conservative or, I don't know, right-wing extremist, I think, is a, a better term. Uh, you know, he's he's not interested in that. And, of course, our our reform ideas of, of restricting uh, what they have jurisdiction over, which is, you know, able to just basically turn any law over at, at their whim, um, that definitely needs to be taken away. And I never hear that being mentioned, right? And it, and it kind of goes to some of the other things they don't want to overturn, right? The it's the power plays. They they want to make sure that these uh, breakers or whatever are in place. So you know you've got the filibuster. It's it's there to make sure that 
the progressives and the lefties uh, can never get what they want. And, uh, you know, that's the current composition of the Supreme Court. Does that pretty well as <clears throat> pretty uh, well as well. And, uh, you know, sacrificing Roe v. Wade here, uh, Roe v. Wade here, sacrificing the wetlands there. Uh, it's worth it to, I don't know, to uh, keep it at number nine forever uh, or, you know, I don't know what the goals are these people the goal is power there's nothing else uh, so um that's that's uh a, well right the, the goal is um unaccountable power and that's what a dictatorship yeah, is indeed and to, to go back to the role of the supreme court the supreme court can make whatever rulings and decisions um that that it wants to no one denies that but what is uh unexplained is where is the power of enforcement coming from? In other words, with the overturning of Roe versus Wade, that doesn't mean that um, that has to become the law. And then the other question is, if the Supreme Court doesn't have the power to enforce laws, how can anything that the Supreme Court does have any force behind it. It's the executive branch, which is independent of the Supreme Court, that does the enforcement. So the Supreme Court can't make anyone do anything. I mean, it can say this law is unconstitutional, and then the other two branches can say we don't care. The Supreme Court doesn't have the power of enforcement. And I think this is something that gets glossed over by the average American. Well, the Supreme Court said this, right? So what? It doesn't have the power of enforcement. That goes with the executive branch. There's a law, you said that the law, well, you don't have a constitutional right to an abortion, so there can't be any more abortions. No, you as the court can render your abstract, legal, scholastic, decision, you can render your uh, legal argument, and that's the end of it, right? And it could be, again, it's, it's advisory. The other two branches can then take into account, well, they say this is unconstitutional, but then it would ultimately go back into the hands of the legislature and executive as to what the law is actually going to be made and how it's going to be enforced. And this has effectively been done away with. That the Supreme Court does act as enforcer. It acts as, it's not a balance of power, it's a hierarchy of power. And the Supreme Court is at the top. And it, it says, uh, and it's basically like you said, nine people in a country of 330 million people, nine people who are not elected and who have lifetime appointments can say we like or we don't like a certain law and that is the end of it, right? And the only recourse that you have is something that is totally uh, inadequate and non-proportional to that level of power, which is that you can vote for a president of a certain party, wait until one of these nine people die, then have some other person appointed who will think differently then you have to wait and wait for the day to come. There's going to be another court case 
that makes it all the way back to the Supreme Court, and then that maybe they would reverse the decision that they made earlier. Mm-hmm. And to use the, Roe versus Wade in his example, the, the, the time frame. The, the pendulum is swinging, David. As, as unlikely as it is this would ever happen, you're talking about 50 years. And, of course, that's hardly anything that you could call a, a democracy or a representative government. Like, I want something. This is what the people want. I mean, it's been shown in the polls, and I don't. I think the polls are exaggerated in terms of their significance, but they're not totally meaningless either. As I understand it, the majority of Americans disagree with the Roe versus Wade uh, decision, right? And, uh, but so what? There's six people told an entire nation of 330 million people that what had been the law of the land, the custom, the practice, medical practice, re- the, the, the whole culture of being a woman with reproductive rights, six people just said, no more of this. That is a dictatorship. That is a malevolent, wicked dictatorship. And they're not accountable. And then to, to go back to the, what I was saying about the polls, to the extent that there could be any uh, fairly immediate repercussion or response from the voters, guess what? And this is another reason that it's not a democracy, that it's simply broken and fallen apart. The Republicans are not going to feel any repercussions, right? That would be the other argument that, well, Eventually, the composition of the Supreme Court will change and vote out this president, get the president you like in there, and he'll appoint someone. And the other thing that could happen is there could be a complete bloodletting, a complete routing of the Republicans when you have these extremist, unpopular decisions made by a Supreme Court that everybody knows is right wing. And the, the judges that tip the, the power of the Supreme Court from quasi-liberal or at least moderate uh, to far nut job right wing are Republicans, is you could see Republicans all over the country get voted out. But we know that's not going to happen. 2022, a long, long time ago, Dave, that's right. This is nearly seven months ago. Gosh, what an incredible memory Dr. Overby has. But way back in 2022, when the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade, months later, I mean, what is it? June's when these decisions are made. November's when you're voting. We're talking about five months. Five months later, Republicans gained the House of Representatives. And so uh, that's another way that it's just a total waste of uh, this so-called uh, democracy. We also know, on top of that, that in places like Kentucky, Tennessee, all over the South, and I think most of the country, it is permanently, chronically deep red. And that definitely means you don't have a democracy because the take a state like Tennessee that pushed through all of this transphobic, hate-mongering legislation against uh, drag queens and drag shows. 
there is no way from now until the end of time that Tennessee will be comprised of anything but far-right Republicans, both in terms of its population and its state government. And so if you know that the Republicans are always going to win, that they're always going to hold a supermajority, then how is it a democracy? Because the, the idea of a democracy is that the people themselves have some vision or idea of the kind of country that they want. And when the people who are in power deviate from that, certainly when they contradict it, you, you vote them out. And so there's always an incentive for whoever is in power to do the will of the people. But if it's always going to be Republican, no matter what, then the Republicans can do whatever they want. It isn't going to matter. I mean, you could definitely say the same thing for Kentucky. Like until, until he dies or finally steps aside and is replaced by an even more hardcore conservative who's been groomed for decades to, t- to take his position, Mitch McConnell is going to be a senator. He will never even come close to losing. And so in practice, you have to you have to look at what's actually going on and say uh, that there is just no way that this is a, is a democracy. It's the Supreme Court is the most powerful part of the government, and it is a dictatorship. People are appointed for life and they cannot be voted out. And the way that the other two branches interpret or react to what the Supreme Court does means that the Supreme that there is no check on the Supreme Court. It's it's it has the ultimate final say. And in a real democracy, there is no final say. And no one person or one branch of the government has a final say. Yeah. And to, before to... I finish on this one point, I have to get in a dig on the Obamacon because if there if there was a figure, a prominent figure in our political history that really solidified the role of the, quote, liberal as someone who is barely any different than the conservative and is all their first reaction is going to be to sympathize with what the conservative wants. It is the Obamacon who just took it um, that at face value, whatever the Republicans want must be a legitimate position, right? Well, they want this, and so we have to work with them. It can never be, they want this, this is bullshit. Like, they're wrong, they're not going to get this. Like, you can't criminalize people for dressing up as a drag queen and all of this other miserable, discriminatory, bigoted, hate-filled shit that they keep shoveling on us and of all the people to have this kind of attitude a black man wow what a loser yeah and uh, just um in in that um accountability thing you were talking about i mean it was put in great relief recently both with alito and um uh, Clarence Thomas. I mean, Clarence Thomas was basically like, you know, I'm hanging out with 
this rich guy and my wife and I too get all these perks from him. And uh, what you going to do about it? And of course, there is nothing you can do about it. They're completely immune. Uh, I mean, not completely. I mean, they know how to, you know, get around the law and get free shit uh, all they want. Right. And so they can be totally as corrupt as they want, which, of course, would reflect their so-called decisions. Right. That their (laughs) decisions are uh, not only paid for, uh, but gladly paid for. It's like they're zealots, uh, you know, they believe the same thing that their paymasters uh, believe in. And uh, so it's uh, good both ways, you know. yeah, so let's move on to, uh, let's not spend too much time on this just because it's, there's never seems to be any progress, uh, at least currently, uh, with the issue in the U.S., which is Ukraine, a, a great democracy, uh, uh, totally devoid of, um, who is, you know, a great democracy that's being subjected to the whims of a brutal dictator, uh, Putin. Uh, so, I mean, it's the same. Uh, no negotiations and unless Russia retreats from Crimea, Crimea, uh, this is, you know, still the attitude of, of Zelensky and the uh, Ukrainian military, which is just, this is not happening. You've lost Crimea, get over it, you know. And you've also lost the Russian parts of Ukraine because if you ask the actual people there what they want, they don't want Ukraine in there because what has Ukraine been doing? Bombing the living fuck out of them, right? So, I mean, of course they don't want fucking Ukraine now. I mean, uh, uh, you go in there and you, you bomb and, and raise cities. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you had a chance to see um, uh, the... Uh, and I, I meant to tell you to uh, look at some of the emails that, that, I, that, that I sent. Yeah, I've, um, I've, got mo- I've got most of them up. But the thing is that in, in some of these articles, Zelensky keeps saying about how you how they want to protect human life. And this, this when my blood really starts to boil is. You if you're if you're Zelensky and you, you're fighting this war and you don't want to cease fire. You can't say that you're that you want to protect people's lives. Right. He's he's taking a, a page right out of the American playbook where, well, all these other countries fight wars and they're brutal. But when we fight a war, we're actually civilized in how we do it. Mm-hmm. Right? Humani- again, is, humanitarian. Um, yeah. Humanitarian. But this is also stupid because there is nothing humanitarian about war. War is destruction. And killing, wholesale killing of other human beings. We know that civilians always get killed and suffer in a war. And that's why I maintain that the, the only uh, redeemable position when it comes to war is that you, you're either totally pacifist and you just say we're, we're violence doesn't bring an end to violence. It only leads to more violence. And right now, we're seeing that happen. Or, as um, Chris Hedges points out in when he was covering the uh, 
the the fighting in the former Yugoslavia when Milosevic was going to have, I think, 50,000 of his own people executed, that if, if you are going to fight a war, it has to be quick and decisive, right? So if you can say that if we use this many soldiers and we use this much military equipment in this short time frame, we will end the conflict decisively and permanently, right? If, if that can actually be done, then uh, being realistic, understanding that life isn't a fairy tale and that it can't just be uh, a utopia, although I maintain, and I think that you're good about reminding this of, of this, Dave, that there is no reason for us to give up on utopia. And I think once you do give up on it, you're just going to be in a dark age. You're going to be in a totally grim, bottomless pit of misery and violence and suffering. But everything going on with the uh, Ukraine-Russian war is exactly what you don't want to see, where it is escalating and it just becomes more and more of a stalemate. And this talk of you know, every drop of blood has to be spared or for every inch of ground we gain back, we're having to give up a, a drop of blood. Once another country attacks you, that other country is wrong for doing that. But the, the more complicated and challenging thing to think about is you're not separate from the world you live in. What do you do now? Right. Somebody punches you in the jaw. They are wrong for doing that. But then you have to think about what do I do next? I mean, if I can go Jason Bourne on him and shut him down, well, then sure, of course I do that. But if I decide I'm going to start throwing punches back and then I wind up just getting beaten much worse then you have to wonder about the temperament and the decision making of the person uh, that that got punched, despite the fact that the other the person who punched them is the person who's in the wrong. But th what I see happening is that the uh, the United States and NATO have been giving Ukraine more and more equipment and weapons. I think there was uh, one email I sent. It's uh, with a tagline, uh, more jack-off material. And it's basically just bragging. We see that uh, epideictic rhetoric again, the rhetoric of, of praise and blame. In this case, it's the endless praise of the amazing Western technology. Right Here we are back in the 1950s with this dumbed-down West good, East bad, capitalism good, communism bad. And here's something I found amusing. The weapons that Ukraine was using at the beginning of the war to fend off the initial Russian invasion were Soviet-era weapons. It was all of the stuff that the that Ukraine military had from the old Soviet Union. So they're using these Soviet weapons to fend off the Russians, right? And then the Americans finally get around to figuring out what they want to do 
oh, well, we can't send them these weapons, but we'll send them to this, these people, and then these people can send it, so we're not really sending it. Um, Ukraine is getting more and more and more, but Zelensky is saying it's not enough. Now he wants uh, F-15s, and now there's talk of, of, of letting the Ukraines have cluster bombs. Yeah. I was just... Which are, um, many people have said, you can't use these because they're too... Brutal and dangerous. Right. Yeah. There, there's basically an uh, international ban on them. And guess, you know, there's uh, like uh, two or three countries in the world of which, uh, surprise, surprise, the U.S. Uh, still manufactures and uses them and has not signed the cluster bomb munition ban, international ban. Just like they, I don't think they've even signed the uh, landmine uh, convention either. <laughs> it's like, we won't sign anything that uh, should just be obvious. You know, uh, cluster bombs. For those who don't know, they're just—it's basically you, you drop a bomb that has uh, hundreds uh, um, of little bomblets, uh, <laughs> little tiny grenade-like things that um, are usually intended to explode. So you've got you know this one bomb comes down and it spreads out. And it blows up and blasts and gets under things, and and they're just very devastating. But, uh, of course, there's always a good percentage of them that don't explode. So then there's a bunch of little bomblets everywhere. Um, And it's kind of similar to landmines, and that they put these fucking little things everywhere. And uh, so you're always at risks, and, uh, you know, it's... uh, the kid with the one leg, you know. Before you know it, you've got thousands of kids with one leg or... Or, or dead, or you know, uh, you know, because they often look like they're toys. So uh, yeah, perfect thing to grab, uh, for a little kid, and yeah. So they're a complete travesty, and the, the even the idea, you know, nobody even knows what they are. And it, so this article is like, will it win the war or cause disaster? U.S. debates sending cluster bombs to Ukraine. They, even even that the, there's a thought of sending them anywhere. Or that we even allow their manufacturer or, you know, it's just so depraved in itself. I mean, before you even get into the details of the debate, I mean, what's the fucking debate here, you know? Whether or not to be just a total fucking uh, depraved sicko or, like, think twice about being a depraved sicko or, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, Yeah, so... We're not as depraved as... as the other side is so we're good yeah i also read something where uh apparently uh ukraine has been using a landmine and that also uh violates i think some yeah. international yeah the, the i mean yeah those landmine uh landmines are similar to the cluster uh there was even the report and August by the this is under the cluster bomb thing thing, but it says that this there was a report from the, by the landmine and cluster munition monitor, so they're lumped together as being very similar uh, in their harms, especially for children. Count for sixty six percent of all casualties where the age group was known. The report said so. It's like a a, a kid killer, um, and ninety seven percent of casualties from cluster munitions are. Uh, civilian, so they're just uh, just like the landmines are. They're they're for civil. You know, it is uh, 
ammunition that harms civilians straight up that's what they're for uh, so if you are talking about them in any positive way you're like a child murderer you know uh, <clears throat> and uh, people just don't realize uh, that these things are like that a and b the policymakers definitely do know that and they don't give a fuck <clears throat> uh, so but david <laughs> un unless you're shoving a, a hand grenade uh, up some pregnant woman's pussy and blowing up the baby really there are no children who are hard yeah you can't because we do all good people do all good all you need to do to be a good person is to protect the unborn yeah well david it uh, cluster munitions are banned for use as abortion uh, uh, technique for the abortion oh, technique. Well, and I don't so. know what my problem is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, that's uh, we don't want to. <laughs> as long as there, it's a white baby, right? You know, it's all right. You know. Oh yeah, and that's another thing is just how uh, racist um, this. Uh, Ukraine-Russian war is, is in terms of why do we give so much support and attention and concern to what's going on in this war, but we don't care about the conflict going on in Sudan, right? And it's because when you see images of Ukraine and all of them are huddling in the subways or they're uh, they're terrified and they're grieving after their village has been bombed. You look at all these white people, mm -hmm. right, with blonde hair, blue eyes, and you think, oh, this is awful This is happening to them. Then we look at the Sudan, right, mm -hmm. and they're all black, and they're speaking in languages that we don't understand, and it sounds like gobbledygook and... They walk around carrying things on their head, and they dress funny, and it doesn't look like they have um, shoes. Night no like shoes. That. No shoes. Yeah. Uh, right. You know, yeah. They, they, I don't see any shopping malls or. Uh, more, most importantly, yeah. Western civilization infrastructure, and so well, who cares? But why does it? Why is it any less wrong that? If there's a conflict in Sudan, then the aggressor must be wrong, just like Russia must be wrong when it comes to uh, Ukraine. Uh, there was also the comment in terms of bragging and complete ignorance of history, the, the comment about uh, Zelensky um, claiming that uh, 21,000 uh, Wagnerites have been killed. Mm -hmm. I don't yeah. know if you saw that one. Yeah, yeah. Two things stood out to me right away. One is that CNN reported this, uh, wrote this article. CNN is the source for this article. They yeah. could not independently verify this. Right. But then the first thing that jumped in my head was 21,000. Now, we, we read that number and we're supposed to think, gosh, that's a lot. Mm -hmm. Then, being the college professor, I think, hmm, let me think about my history a little bit. We have to remember Russia is a giant country, right? It spans 12 time zones. It goes all the way from Eastern Europe to within, I think, 
a hundred miles of Alaska. Right, right. Isn't that how close, like yeah. the far eastern edge of mm-hmm. uh, Russia comes to the border of Alaska? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not that far apart from each other. Yeah, yeah. That's how giant it is. So I think World War II, hmm, that's, you know, to pull out one of my obscure, dirty reference points, right, that no one but a, a weirdo geek would think about. Um, World War II, how many Russian soldiers died in World War II? Well, I think um, I think there was like 50 million Russians. And it was a good proportion of them, so you know, let's just say 30 million. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the latest numbers that I looked at, I think that it said that it was between 22 and 30 million Russians total. Uh-huh. It was 8.6 million Russian soldiers. Wow. 8.6 <laughs> million. Now, you're a good student, David. Can you guess That's... what the inference I'm going to make about bragging about killing 21,000 Wagnerites <laughs> and then the 8.6 million Russians that died in World War II? Well, I, I think you're going to make some allusion to Nazi Germany. Uh being like a Nazi, but uh, I may be wrong. Well, the, the point is, we're, <laughs> we're supposed to think that 21,000 is a lot, yeah. right? And that this must mean that Russia is weakening and that they're losing the war. And this is what I've been saying about Russia and how it, uh, how it fights, right? There is no number of dead that is going to deter them. 21,000 is mm. nothing. I mean, it's it's 20% of 10% of a million, which is one-eighth of the total number of soldiers who died in World War II. So if Ukraine thinks that it's really done a great job and made a dent in the Russian military capability by killing what is a an unverified number of Wagnerites, then they should remember that it was 8.6 million that were killed. In other words, all they need to do is kill basically another 8 million Russians and maybe then they can be getting somewhere. Although even in World War II, that should remind you again just how enormous Russia is and how brutal they are. That there's, I mean, there are some countries that wouldn't do that, right? They would say, holy shit, man, 8 million people? That's too many. Well, Not I mean, Russia. to give the full historical context, of course, they were invaded by Hitler and it was totally scorched earth. So it was, it was like, you know, either you throw yourself into this or you're going to be killed for sure. Right. So there was a strong incentive to fight back. (laughs) It was like, okay, do you want to live or not? I mean, uh, that was, uh, the situation there. Now it's much different here in that it's not anywhere near as, um, intense a conflict as far as, uh, the number of people, um, 
and uh, it just hasn't escalated any anywhere near that level of destruction. So, I mean, that 21,000 is probably highly exaggerated. I mean, you can't believe a word that comes out of Zelensky's mouth. He's just a complete, uh, you know, A, a mouthpiece, and B, just a, a psycho, right? I mean, <laughs> um, and... Uh, well, his comments about wanting to protect human life it's like if yeah. you want to protect human life you don't fight a war and yeah. you don't escalate a war mm. once it has started and yeah. it may and no it's not world war ii but i also wouldn't um I well wouldn't sugarcoat yeah. the fact that i oh, think no. that it has escalated. oh yeah i mean you can see like mario pole is just flattened and uh, many of these other uh towns uh have been uh totally uh, destroyed and uh, probably filled with a bunch of our cluster bombs and landmines. Uh, so before we go, I was wondering if did you see the uh, the piece about uh, Greta Thunberg? Uh huh. Yeah. And yeah. That she was talking about ecocide and that she went to Ukraine. And I I don't want to make too much out of it, but in reading the comments, like Thunberg was talking about how war does all this damage to the environment, but she didn't. See explicitly come out and call for an end to the war mm -hmm. and so that was really the first time that i had read anything that she said that i was disappointed with or puzzled or somewhat confused i mean i would like to think that she understands that war is a bad thing and that she wants it to stop but of course she's also uh swedish and so she's in this part of Europe that is, um, I think, feels vulnerable and wants to fortify itself and is uh, concerned about possible Russian aggression. But if you don't want damage happening to the environment when it comes to war, I mean, it seems to me that your only real solution is to say you can't fight wars. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm reading her comments, and, yeah, it's a lot of talk about the environment where it it seems that should be always secondary to saying that the the killing and the destruction of people's homes and uh, that sh should always be uh, mentioned first in any uh, critique of the war situation. I mean, she t says here... Um, the <clears throat> I think we need to connect the dots. The danger, the threat of war, human suffering, and ecocide are all connected. Okay, none of us should ignore the terrible things that are happening in Ukraine, the crimes that Russia is committing here. Yeah, and you know, granted, sure, I'm sure that maybe uh, uh, you know this Fox News uh, tiny piece on her. Uh, uh, talk she had there. I mean, she, maybe she said a few other things that didn't get into this um, piece. I'm I'm kind of guessing that she might have been a little more progressive in what she was talking right. about. Right. I mean, I, I certainly give her the benefit of the doubt. Right. And she didn't. She she also didn't sound like a drooling warmonger mm -hmm. at, at right. all. But I right. was sort of hoping for a more yeah. explicit and direct. Yeah. Um, refutation of, mm -hmm. of being at war like right. that both sides are wrong i mean the whole idea of climate change is that we are one planet we are one 
human race, we all face the same common fate in terms of our planet. Um, the idea that you know Russia should be punished for ecocide really doesn't seem to be, I think, the best yeah. inference that could be made from right. the situation. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can punish Russia all that you want, mm -hmm. but that's not going to reverse or mitigate the damage being done to the environment through the killing and destruction of war. Not to mention, in case anyone cares, the loss of human life and the human suffering. Yeah, that should be at the top. Yeah, and I, exactly. I think that you're well said on your part uh, to emphasize that. Right on, brother. Well, that's going to do it for the monster cocks for this week, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Try not to get too excited. Try to control yourselves. It's just another six days before the next Oblivion podcast. <laughs> for my colleague, David Miller, this is Dr. David W. Overby, and we'll catch you next time.